0: Hello, I'm Paula Jenkins, a transformative life coach and retreat leader. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that talks about the stories of people following their hearts, finding work that lights them up, and looking at how joy plays a part in their journey. To learn more about this podcast, head on over to jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website at paulajenkinsonline.com. Hi, friends, and welcome to episode three of Jumpstart Your Joy. First, I want to thank you for all of your wonderful comments about the first two episodes. I'm so excited to get all of the amazing feedback from you guys. So keep the comments coming on Facebook. You can check out the community at Welcoming Spirit, which is my blog's name. And if you haven't heard the first two episodes, please go back and have a listen. For episode three, I am so excited to bring you an interview with Matthew Wood. He is the supervising sound editor at Skywalker. As a sound editor, Matt has gotten to work on a ton of awesome movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, Star Trek Into Darkness, Super 8, and Adventures of the Young Indiana Jones. And in addition, Matt has gotten to work on the Star Wars franchise, starting with Phantom Menace and moving on to Revenge of the Sith and later Star Wars The Clone Wars. Matt also does the voice of General Grievous throughout the Star Wars franchise. And he has the very exciting job of editing the next upcoming Star Wars film, The Force Awakens. Matt and I had a great time reminiscing about growing up as kids in the 70s and being so enamored with the Star Wars world. And I think any fan will delight in how he landed the role of General Grievous. And so, without further ado, I kick it over to the interview with Matthew Wood. Thank you so much to Matt Wood, who's join, joining me today. He's the supervising sound editor at Skywalker and, can I say, an old friend. <laughs> Hi, Matt.
1: Hi there. How are you, Paula?
0: I'm doing well. You sound lovely.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I hope so. Yeah, we've got a lot of equipment connected <laughs> up to this thing.
0: Yes, and thank you for your help with uh, my microphone.
1: <laughs> Anytime.
0: So, would you like to dive in and talk about, like, what did you love most as a kid? I know I, we know each other from fifth grade, yes. but like, what are your, what were your early sparks of joy?
1: Early sparks of joy. Um, you know, actually, grade school—the time when we were when we met—actually was some of the most joyous times I had. I mean, I, I grew up, we grew up in like, a, it was a suburb of San Francisco and um, there was a lot of nature around and I really liked the school that I went to and the teacher was really motivating. And, you know, what What really made me feel joyous then, I think, was a lot of the things that were in popular culture um, at the time, like Star mm-hmm. Wars and, and also just like hanging out with my friends. Uh, I had a really great peer group of kids that I hung out with. Felt very safe, and yet I had a lot of freedom to do things, and I had a really good family uh, situation at home.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, it was a very, it was a really fun time for me. To, I have a lot of great memories about grade school.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. And that school was really special. It, I it was small enough to be kind of like you, as a child, you could navigate it and understand. You know what I mean, like how you fit in socially, and, and yet it was diverse enough that it, you know, you didn't feel trapped. <laughs>
1: totally.
0: You've mentioned Star Wars. Is it back then that you were interested in sound and editing or how did that come about?
1: Well, you know, I, I Star Wars was the first thing I remember it was just such an imaginative thing that, that George Lucas had put together and first thing I ever saw that that took me to another place that I was I mm. just felt like this universe existed and these were real things and I remember my I had this oversized Marvel comic adaptation of Star Wars that my mother had purchased for us, and I was leafing through it one day. And at the end of the of the comic book, there was a a page that showed Alec Guinness, who plays Obi Wan Kenobi, mm-hmm. sitting there on the set. He was in like one of these film kind of chairs, sitting next to this guy that had a beard and this coat and a plaid shirt, and he was kind of pointing. And I'm like, who's that character? I don't remember him from the movie, and. He certainly wasn't in Star Wars. They were sitting on the set that there was, there was the Tatooine location, mm-hmm. Tunisia. I remember looking, who is that? And my mom said, that's the director. That's George Lucas. He created all this. And I was like, a director? What What does a director do? I thought, just, I thought it's just the people you're seeing on the screen that made the movie. Like, it's just the actors that made the movie, you know? Right. And so, so that was my first exposure to what a director was and i remember kind of obsessing about that going like well wow there's people that make these movies and how do they make these movies and what do they do and and all the different parts of how a movie was made and and what was really special about this particular movie was that you know they got a lot of accolades for what they did in visual effects and sound and and back then like seeing how a movie was made was kind of a secret thing and it was really special and and i was told also that It's local. You know, it was (laughs) in Northern California. This was and even though I didn't know really how big the world was, it was still I felt like, oh, it's it's close by. And even sending away, I remember like after Star Wars there, you could send away for these action figures with the Kenner thing. You'd like cut the proof of purchases out and send them away. And to get the special action figure, then you were going to get the Boba Fett action figure for the next movie. And I remember uh, thinking that was going to Skywalker Ranch, this place that George Lucas made. And it's going to be, you know, George Lucas is going to personally give me the the Boba Fett thing and send it to me. But that was it sparked my creativity and wanting and to know that that people made these movies. And it was a big team effort to make these films. And I really got interested in wanting to be a part of creating something like that. Yeah. And that was that was very early on
0: it was so cool too. I totally remember those the Kenner's action figures and we have a couple lying around the house cuz <laughs> you got to hold on to them. They're
1: awesome. Everyone had those things.
0: Do you remember seeing Star Wars or
1: Yeah, the the one the first time? 7 a New Hope. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely remember. I, we were at the it was a drive-in movie theater. Oh wow. Yeah, I remember just being totally blown away cuz it felt old. Mm-hmm. I watched it and it felt like everything felt like it had been like the X-wing fighters and all the uh, everything that was used in the movie looked like it had had like some use. It felt like the, everything had a history to it, and it was this ancient story. It felt like a a classic story that I'd heard, you know, like a bedtime story being read read to me by my parents. But it was something that was futuristic at the same time, and that 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 whole dichotomy of those two things together really was interesting. And I remember it, it was just fun. It was a super fun movie. Yeah. And the archetypes in the movie were pretty distinct and you fall into one camp or another like I like Luke Skywalker more or Han Solo more or, and the princess was was awesome and and it was just yeah a really fun movie that obviously it took the world by storm completely
0: right yeah and i think there was something cuz obviously well or not obviously to the audience but we're the same age within a few months but yeah. like there was something about being five ish and going into a theater I mean, I remember my parents had a discussion. Should she see it? Should we take her? And I think, um, my dad actually said, well, yes, this is, this is important. (laughs) You know, like, and then going and seeing it. And I remember just being standing in line and being so crowded with lots of people. And then I remember Chewbacca. Like, oh, yeah just so big like that was impressive to me and then the droids I, it was all about the droids and also five. Real.
1: it really just felt real like it yeah it felt like a real creature those droids seemed like real droids I mean it, it really did a great job in creating that universe and really not you, you couldn't you couldn't see the the zipper on Chewbacca or the you know the actor inside C-3PO it really was it really felt real
0: yeah and I love what you've just said too about the history that was kind of inserted into it, like. So many other films, I feel like, to that point, and probably because I was five, so what you know frame of reference did I really have, but that exactly. everything seemed shiny and new, and so it would be a new story, and everything was clearly just created for that film or that TV show, but this wasn't that. Yeah. I mean, I know, actually, today, as we're recording, it seems that it may be a very special anniversary for you at yeah. Skywalker.
1: Yeah, I just realized that... Yeah, I've been here twenty-five years. I started in this company right out of high school, and I and today was my twenty-fifth year of working here. So I was like, "Wow, that's a long time." Yes, <laughs> it really has gone by fast. It's still, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe how fast the time has gone by. And
0: right, uh, well, and congratulations! That's so awesome. <laughs> like, and so unusual in today's kind of career path or arc. Like, very few people see that many years in a single company. So, congratulations! That's awesome. Um, much. what was it like walking in that first day, knowing that this had been such an important part of your childhood? Like, what was that like?
1: It was a total dream. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it was uh, the, the place, the, the location that I work out of is called Skywalker Ranch. Uh, George Lucas is create created it basically after the success of the Star Wars films in the mid eighties, he created this place to, to be a filmmaking kind of retreat, and this is where all his divisions of his company were. And it was a pretty small, homegrown, very independent com- uh, company. And so when I came in here, it was a it was a, such a respite out of high school. I had kind of a difficult high school experience. And so which I'm grateful for, actually, <laughs> coming here, it, all of a sudden, like all my weird idiosyncrasies and geekiness was totally embraced. And I was able to come and work for a company that was doing some really special things at a very special time in the industry so it was totally a dream, and I still, to this day, even driving in 25 years later to this location, it's I realize how special it is, and I really do feel, I, I feel like I'll wake up or something, maybe, maybe when I was, you know, after I saw Star Wars when I was five, I mm. went into a coma, and this is all a dream or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: Wow, yeah.
1: This is a beautiful place to work, and he really created a special thing out of the success of those movies. Yeah, I really felt accepted, and then and I really wanted to prove myself and try really hard, because of the what the pedigree of all the projects that had come before me here. I really felt like, oh my gosh, I get to actually participate in this and be part of the history of this place. And, it, and there's so much that has been done before that is amazing to learn from. Like a lot of the, the real legends in the fields here, uh, at Lucasfilm have stayed, and I got to learn from them when I first started here. So that was that was another great thing too.
0: Yeah, sounds like it's remained that special.
1: Yes. I mean, we we work, I'm still working at Skywalker and this place has an amazing aura just being in the physical location uh definitely brings out the best in people. Uh we work on really special projects. Uh this the company I work for, Skywalker Sound, we do sound for all kinds of studios. We do the Marvel films, we do the Pixar films, we do Spielberg's movies, we do independent films, we do Sundance retreats here. We have we do we run the gamut of the projects here and so there's always new and interesting people that want to come and work here and have us work on their projects so when they come to this facility they really feel like they're going to get something special that they're not going to get at the average studio so that energy is brought into the project so it really makes it for an interesting experience and you and you work really hard on a project for four or five months and then you're on to the next mm-hmm.
0: That's really cool. And I don't think I realized that other groups could contract or work with you on their own films. That's that's a very interesting offering.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a project employee, which means that there's no projects. I don't work, but there's always projects. So I mm. work, but it does yeah, make it so it's perfect for me because I like variety. And like, even though I've worked at the same place for 25 years, I I still feel like I've had a tremendous amount of variety here just because of all the different directors and studios that want to work with us. It It really... It makes it so it doesn't ever get boring, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. If you ever
1: get bored, I don't, I mean, like getting bored is, I don't know, that's something, that's a concept that I kind of, I don't, I don't know. Like, I've come to a new appreciation of like ever feeling bored. I don't ever really feel bored, but I I just, the variety is great.
0: When you got to Skywalker, was Young Indiana Jones your first project or what were you working on from the start?
1: I started here working in the video games division, so I was a, a video games tester actually. That's the first job I did, and that lasted about a year. And then I worked on a project that George Lucas would created called Sounddroid. And mm. It was a nonlinear audio editing tool that was was geared specifically for film, because m- most of the digital technology at that time was really geared towards music. And so he wanted to make an, a front end software interface that was film-based so we could cut movies on digital. And and it was very ambitious. It was very expensive and, and ambitious project to, to put together. Um, but I came out of the video games division into that because at the time there re- there wasn't a lot of computer savvy folks that worked here on the project side. And so they, they were looking for someone to come in and do quality assurance on the audio program. And so they said, well, why don't we go to the video games division? They have quality assurance technicians and let's get someone out of there. So I was, I was picked out of there and interviewed. And the video games, I had such a great time working there too. Mm-hmm. Really fun environment, a really small independent band of guys that, that, uh, and gals that made this, this really fun adventure games. And I got to work on a, a game called Secret of Monkey Island. That was the first game I worked on at the games division that I just have such fond memories about. And I know some of the creators to that program, of that program to this day, which, have gone on to make really fun things.
0: That's really cool. I love when teams are so special. I mean, you can kind of handpick them out, at least in my own memory, where there was a group of people that just, I don't know, there was something magical about them. Um, and it does seem like those folks, shout out to Clock of Sports here, um, So <laughs> uh-huh. that was like a really special group following them and where they've all gone. It's been really interesting. But it's a once in a million shot, right? When those folks all come together. Totally. With uh, Skywalker then... Did you work on *Phantom Menace*?
1: I did, yeah. That was actually the first my first big supervising job. Uh, up until that point, I had been working either as an editor or in sound design or an assistant. That job came about because one of my mentors out here, who's a legend in the field of sound work, is named Ben
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, He's the one who created like. The sound of R2 D2 and Chewbacca and the TIE fighters and the lightsabers and all the lasers. He did the, all the Raiders, uh, the Lost, or all the Indiana Jones movies for Spielberg, and he won a, you know, a bunch of Oscars in the 70s and 80s for his work. Basically, put this company, Skywalker Sound, on the map. He's the one that, because of his work on those films, other directors wanted to come here and work. And, it, and in between the Star Wars movies that George was making, they were working with him to come and do great sound on their films. He had taken a break from sound. His last film he had done was Always for Spielberg. Um, I think that was like 89, 90. And then sometime around 97, when we were crewing up to do, or we were starting up to do Phantom Menace, 97, 98, he just kind of casually asked me one day, well, you seem like the computer guy in the building. Can you can you get me up to speed on this one thing he wanted to do? It was just like some sound design he wanted to do with this particular piece of equipment at the time. And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, I had peripherally worked with him on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles because he had been a director on that show. I just started working with them and it was just our our working relationship really blossomed and I was learning so much about sound design and he was sending me out on recording assignments. Then in the middle of that show, the producer gave me a field promotion to supervisor. That was that. I kept working as a supervisor after that and that was about, I was probably 25 years old, 26 years old. And that was a dream. Working on, I always wanted to work on a Star Wars movie. And I remember the first day that I I sat down to watch what had been put together. It was Mm -hmm. an early edit of the show, and just I remember even calling my mom and being like, "I'm gonna put this tape in and watch this." And this is like I'm one of like ten people that has probably seen the whole thing through, and I was like crying. I think I was so excited. (laughs) That was such a good moment. Yeah. And that was such a great film to work on. It just. The team was really, really strong, and we were, and we were just on a technical level. It satiated all my technical things that I love. I mean, we did so many of the firsts on that film series, uh, all three of those prequels. Working with George was was great. He was the most humble, average, everyday, ordinary billionaire you'll ever meet. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. he was just such such a great guy to work for, and has such an independent spirit, and really took a lot of risks on the technical side to Elms to And I think he really enjoys that part of the movie movie making process as well
0: that maybe i wonder is that well dare i wonder about george lucas at all but is it some of the risk-taking that makes all of this so special because without the courage to put some of those stories out there you know it would have been maybe easy to say no to that first movie i don't know
1: yeah no for sure i think he's always been a kind of a rogue george i mean he I think early on in his career, he got he got burned a couple of times by some of the studio system. And so he kind of took it upon himself to forge his own path. And he did some very shrewd decision, decisions about um, Star Wars and how the profits from those movies and the licensing of those movies were going to go. Um, he had a faith that he would be able to make sequels and also the characters would, would resonate with people enough where he was able to get the rights to the, the characters and the licensing rights. And so that effectively funded you know because of those films were so successful all the toys and everything that were made were purely profit for him and that was able to fund the rest of those movies and give him a really a much more stronger position as far as filmmaking is concerned and he used a lot of that to build a, a beautiful environment to work in made more movies the way he wanted to do them and i think he really enjoyed you know pushing it forward and we need people like that we need thinkers that like to push the boundaries and and see what happens, and, and take risks, and do things differently. And he's certainly one of those guys.
0: How cool to have met and worked with him! Like I, that's that's just amazing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah,
1: he, he, yeah I, I still can't believe it sometimes, but
0: he's, <laughs> I'm he's sure.
1: A very, very inspirational guy.
0: I know, and again, I don't know who in the audience would know this, but you're the voice of General Grievous. <laughs>
1: Oh wow! Yeah. That that was a whole other like hilarious thing that happened. I mean, it yeah. I I in high school and and I always I loved acting in plays and I was in the drama program and all that. And then through out working at Lucasfilm, I I continued to do acting at junior college and do plays like that. And I've you know that that totally satiates another part of my brain that's not just the creative, or not just the technical part, but it's just this other intangible sort of creative thing that's I need to f- satiate and. I'd taken some breaks between movies to go enroll at the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco and, and take act from those folks there, which was really inspiring. I, I did this thing called the Summer Training Congress, which was like 50 hours a week of you know, scene study work, Shakespeare, voice work, body movement, dancing, stage combat. They, had, they just had this almost like a mini MFA program that you could do over a summer, mm-hmm. and that just changed my life. It was so incredibly fun and inspiring. And that gave me some courage. I'd done some little bit parts here and there in the Star Wars movies, but nothing like uh, General Grievous. We were putting that character together, and one of the last things that comes down the pipe, because he's a completely digital character, would be his voice. And George was really trying to find something very specific. And we were auditioning lots of different actors, and I was involved in the recording of those actors, and I was also involved uh, in the processing of how that character was going to sound, because he was a cyborg, so we had to put this kind of somewhat, like, almost like you're a filter like he's talking through a phone fil- a phone speaker or something it has a, a very a very filtered kind of synthesized sound and so once we found that i apl- i would apply that same process to all the different actors for the audition process and george really wasn't getting exactly what he wanted but i was the one thing that kept hearing what he wanted and like maybe a little more like this maybe a little more like this and so my buddy who I've worked with, one of the first guys I started out working here with, this guy named Chris uh, Scarabosio, he was like, you know, you should just do one. Why don't you just do an mm-hmm. audition? I was like, you're crazy. I can't do that, you know. And then uh, he goes, no, 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 do it. You can do it. Get in front of them. I can do it. So I, I did a few auditions, and then I put it in with the last group that we had just done. I put it in under a pseudonym. Oh <laughs> I, just, I didn't even put it under my own name. And so I sent that in for George to evaluate, and a few weeks went by. And all of a sudden, I get the call from the producer that, hey, George has picked a voice. We got it. Like, you know, let's bring this guy in. And he gives me, I I had named all the files with the the initials of every person. So like, Mm -hmm. so I could be able to track it back to the list of actors that I had that I had. And I remember he gave me the initials. And I look at the list that I had. I was like, it's not on there that those initials aren't on that list. I don't know what he's talking about. Like, oh, man, I must have screwed up and like not. Written down which actor that was. Oh, and I was getting worried that I had done something wrong because now, you know, the time, the clock was ticking for Industrial Light and Magic to start animating the the voice of this character because they had done the majority of the work already and they just needed the mm-hmm. little nuances of the voice. And then I realized, like, oh, my God, that's the initials to the, the fake name I produced. And was,
0: That's awesome. I, I started
1: like, I remember I started sweating like almost instantly. I was like, Oh my god, what have I done? I didn't believe it was going to go this far. And the next day, I saw the producer at lunch, and I was like, So he's like, Hey, do you got that name? We got to get this guy out here like now. I said, Well, Rick, it's it's me. <laughs> and he's like, Are you kidding me? He's like, No. He's like, Well, what do you want me to do? And I was like, Just tell George. Just tell him. I don't care. Just tell him. And then, sure enough, like, I got back to my desk, and I get a call from George Lucas, and he's he was like, So I hear you're grievous, you know, and. <laughs> I think that's great. We're gonna come, I'm going to come down tomorrow. We're going to record the whole thing. Wow. And so we did. And I remember even thinking, this isn't real. This is happening because, you know, I don't, this is just not, this is just temporary. Like this is a placeholder voice that they're going to use. And no, 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 I love it. And then we did this, we screened something for internally to some crew. And there's this guy, Walter Murch, who's a amazing sound designer, editor, director that works in the industry. Who's a contemporary of George's. And he watched the film, and he's like, I really like the sound of Grievous. And so, <laughs> oh my gosh. And he didn't know it was me. Yeah. So I didn't tell anybody in my family at all until the movie was out. I, like, didn't, I didn't tell anybody because it's like I just couldn't believe that it was happening. I was like, they're really – I'm like, okay, so now they've definitely printed the film now. So it would be – it would cost them money to remove my voice. So they're not going to do that. So I remember, like, "Hey, I'm in the movie." You know, to everyone, they were like, "What?" You know? and and George even he t- took me aside into one of the last screenings. And he's like, "You know, your life's gonna change from this." And I was like, "What?" Mm-hmm. I was like, "It's nothing," but it certainly it did. It, it, it really. The thing that it, it let me do, which which was almost letting things come full circle, was I got to now, even though I'd worked in the company for whatever it was at that point, like fifteen years, I now had a voice role which is very different like the fans really wanted to meet this the you know the character that the person that played grievous and so i got to go to a lot of fan conventions and meet a lot of fans and get like sort of in the trenches with the fans and and myself being one also it was really fun to see everybody so excited about the movie and want to talk about it and even though i'd worked there for 15 years it was like still the 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 one character that i had done grievous really was the the main thrust of people and i was like that's fine with me I love talking about it and then another good friend of mine who works out here Dave Filoni who who makes the Clone Wars series put that character back in he gave me a lot more opportunities to do more voices and I got a couple of agents one in San Francisco one in LA and they helped me get work and it, it definitely opened up a lot of doors and just got me meeting people and, and seeing what the Star Wars phenomenon and how we're working out here at Skywalker Ranch in this very Isolated nature preserve, basically, <laughs> and making these giant movies that are like, you know, this drop we put in the in the in the middle of a lake, and you just kind of get to see it like reverberate, vibrate all around the world, and to to everybody to get exposed to Star Wars and just to see how it it, it people are affected by it and all their opinions and everything. It's it's pretty it's pretty incredible.
0: What I feel like is so amazing in all in all that is that you had said that. You know, the acting piece is something that you needed, and so like I love this that you put it out to the universe almost, and like kind of grab the bull by the horns. Totally. Put yourself in that space, and then the chance, <laughs> like it took the yeah, chance. It,
1: it's it's it's. I love kind of backtracking and seeing how things come together after, like, you know, when somebody has a success or even a failure or something, and you you just kind of backtrack and see how it came together. And how it all lines up. You're like, you know, the the guy who motivated me to do the audition was a trusted friend that was one of the first guys I worked with out here. I listened to myself bef- right before this movie, between the last movie and the, and the one that was the Grievous was in. That's mm-hmm. when I decided to take the break, go to the city and like live in San Francisco and do the acting program. And that just really resonated for me. And then there was that point where I, okay, now I have to take a risk. I have to like do this. I have to really push myself, put myself forward to try to audition for this. And then when it all came together and I got it, and then I, it just, it made sense. But it was, it, I love it when stuff like that works out. And and even like I love when things don't work out sometimes <laughs> and you can kind of backtrack and like, okay, I see like where I kind of went off off track here and I can I can try to fix that instead of just like look at the end result of what the problem is and just like take it back and try to see what systemically is going on and I don't know I love that kind of stuff all the interconnectedness of things.
0: Yes. It's a very cool space to play in. Yeah. Um and it sounds like you're kind of intensely re- reflective of your own both successes and failures. That's
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't remarkable. Yeah, I don't like to to like linger in the past and like stuff, but I do like to know how things come together. I like there was this one series, and this is really weird too because I met the guy. But there was this one series I used to watch, my mom and I used to watch, called um, Connections, and it was with this, it was on PBS, and this British guy named James Burke, and he would like connect things like. Uh, gosh, I can't, and I can't remember one now, of course, but it was like major inventions and in how they came together or major technological inventions or like major world events and like sort of breaking down how they have far back as, as, as you can track it in history, how things happen and how we're all interconnected that way. And I used to love that show and the way they presented it. And I remember I was here at Skywalker Ranch one day, just standing out about to go to lunch in the little, courtyard area and I look and he walks up like of all people and I was like James Burke like and he was by himself like what <laughs> are you doing here and he and he was like oh I I was in the tour in town for a lecture tour and I just was stopping by and he was waiting for the person that was going to give him the tour of Skywalker and I'm probably I, I don't think there was there's anyone else in the building that would have been such a fan of his and he happens just to walk right up to me and I was like this is amazing and you know I showed him a bunch of stuff at Skywalker and but it's like yeah, that kind of that kind of opportunity of meeting people like that that comes out of working out here, of course, because a lot of people want to see the place. But I just of all the people to walk, through, it's like <laughs> that guy who, who the show of connections is now connected like uh, so. So
0: <laughs> it goes all meta very quickly, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, totally.
0: Uh, here's a crazy question: What do you think Grievous delights in? What's this guy all about?
1: Ah, uh, that character. Yeah. Um, you know, he. he I gotta say that guy. He's, I always saw him as like ultimately frustrated. Like he, something happened to him in his past where he got, you know, he's definitely power hungry, but he got hobbled. He used to be this biological creature that got injured. And so then he was cybernetically put back together again, always wanted to like get back what he had lost and he was used as a pawn by the, the the Sith lords, who are the bad guys. And I think they used his anger towards the Jedi mm-hmm. to their advantage. Um, and they taught him in the ways, like in a technical way, how to lightsaber fight. Basically, they could say, you know, because he's got cybernetic implants and that are computer based, he could they could actually. Kind of teach him how to the technical prowess to how to fight a Jedi, but he never had it in his spirit to be, able, right. you know, the Force, you know, that unta- intangible thing. He didn't have, so mm-hmm. he never quite get there. He was just frustrated, and the armies that they would provide for him to to, for, to be the general over were basically a bunch of idiots. Who, I, coincidentally enough, I also played the voices of those idiots. They're <laughs> battle droids. They're these little stupid little battle droids that yeah. have these little funny voices and those. Those were basically, so those were Grievous's army. And well, I also got right. the, the, the battle droids too, which was fun. Um, but yeah, he just was ultimately frustrated. And I, happiness, you know, I, you know, there was, funny enough, I'm like a, I love animals. And like, he has a, he had a pet in one of his episodes. It's like giant, hmm. the hmm. snarling beast called Gore. And I remember there was, a, he came home from a battle and he was like calling out to his pet, Gore. And, he, and I was like, wow, this is interesting. This is like Grievous coming back to his house and he's kind of happy calling out to his animal. Like this is the one time I've kind of seen him happy in the mm. time I've played this character. And it was just because he was home with his pet. And then like this giant destructive creature named Grievous with like a a, a skull mask and like, you know, he loves killing things. And And, and like, but he's got this home with his cat.
0: Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I like that little angle on him.
1: Um, it was just one episode of the Clone Wars where they did that, and I was like, "Cool, that's, that's kind of funny."
0: Yeah, because he's kind of—I mean, well, he is a terrifying character. My four-year-old is uh, fascinated that mommy was going to talk to General Grievous. Oh, so. funny! <laughs> yeah, he's—he how you do that, mommy? Isn't he mean? <laughs> that's great. I, so, you
1: know, and I've done like I've had friends that whose kids love you know Star Wars and stuff, and the, and I'm. He's like, hey, my kid's turning six or something, and can you give him a little birthday message? And i will sure, and I I cook up a little thing, and I do it. And I, I try to make it scary, and I say, like, their name and stuff, and I give it to them. And he's like, yeah, you kind of freaked out my son. He was actually really concerned that Grievous was going to come to the birthday party and, like, get him. And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to do that, I swear. I just thought I'd play it up. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You take, I take my normal voice and then I, I pitch it down a little bit and I make it sound like really, really intensely distorted. Sure. But yeah, it's it's a fun process. I get to work out a lot of anger.
0: That's good. Yeah. I also saw in kind of getting ready to talk to you a very funny clip on YouTube where you were reading like children's stories in the grievous uh, voice. Yes.
1: Of course. Yeah, that was at Disney World. They, they they have a great thing they do there called Star Wars Weekends and it's mm-hmm. weekends out of every summer and they bring in behind the scenes folks as well as some of the actors to come in and, and talk Star Wars and do a talk show and a little parade and everything. And yeah, there was, there was always bizarre requests. I think I had to sing When You Wish Upon a Star is Grievous. Uh, I had to. <laughs> say you know like funny lines like do you want fries with that stuff like that they, they had they definitely had me read oh and i did i read some shakespeare I think. yeah
0: i think i saw that <laughs> that's good disney stuff knows
1: how to put on a great disney knows how to put on a great show and that that was actually way before that the, comp, the company now uh lucasfilm is now a subsidiary it's 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 part of luke it's part of uh disney mm-hmm. years back george sold the intellectual properties of Star Wars and Indiana Jones and, and uh, to Disney. And so now we're, we're making movies for Disney. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it was, it was the perfect, I think, place for this, for this Star Wars universe to go. I mean, if you, I know George always really idolized Walt Disney and he's had a great relationship with Disney over the years for, you know, he's done Captain EO and and Star Tours and the Indiana Jones ride and, and it, it, he could have – it was a private company, Lucasfilm, at that point when we made all those movies. And he could have just said, you know what? I want to retire now. I'm going to focus on other things and I'm just going to close up shop of the company. And we could have all been done. You know, basically it was over. But he put it together and sold us to a, real, a good company that wants to keep making movies. We have a, a lot of Star Wars films on the docket to finish. And to be part of that and to be part of the next generation of Star Wars films that are coming out is, is really special. So. Yeah it's a it's, it's a good it's a good time to be at lucasfilm,
0: yeah that is awesome and nice that it was not given, but negotiated so that it was handed to a company that clearly could keep it you know keep true to its roots and and also has a such a distinct sense of magic in it that absolutely i mean I don't think there's another company that I can think of that does magic <laughs> that way,
1: yeah, I can't either i mean they they've they've had such a great track record and and we're so fortunate to be part of that you know they've done great with Pixar and it's exciting we have another film that we're going to have come out here at the end of the year and mm-hmm. a lot of anticipation for and it's <laughs> really fun to work on
0: yeah I'm sure and I know we can't talk too much about it so um <laughs> what what is your take on I know I didn't even put this in the list but I know you also worked on Wally and yeah um how is that
1: Wally was a really special show to be involved in because it was because Pixar had had such an amazing track record of some pretty solid entertainment, and I know that uh, Wally was a little bit experimental. You know, it was not mm-hmm. your average. Not that any of the Pixar films are average, but it wasn't. It wasn't like the other films. The first 20 minutes of that movie are, are just you know a, a little robot alone on planet Earth, kind of doing its own thing, and, and you really are building an environment for it. So the sound was very crucial. Ben Burt also got to sound design and supervise that with me so we did that as a team. We we both worked on it at at Pixar for a little while and then we came back to Skywalker and finished it up, but they really have an amazing storytelling process at Pixar. John Lasseter and his team of directors and writers and story group are they make some amazing amazing films and and it was fun to work on the experimental one which was wally and then have it be so well received i I still get a lot of people that say that's their favorite pixar film and i still have yet to see inside out i hear that's really we did the sound for it here but i hear that's amazing and like i've got a lot of friends are like you need to see this so (laughs) yeah i had a chance to get out there and see it yet
0: it was good as a mother of a four-year-old um i see a lot of these i see a lot of animated films And it is, it's deep. I know that the life coaching community is kind of head over heels with it just because it admits that there's so much more to a personality than just, you know, one, one side. Um,
1: Love that. I love that stuff.
0: Me too. Yeah. And I think it's an important conversation to start. It's brave to start it. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's in a way giving children a really real way to talk about being happy and sad and angry. Like, let's invite that all in. Yeah. Yeah instead of being scared of any of it.
1: Totally. I think that's awesome. I think that's really good.
0: Um, what do you think would surprise people the most about what your job is?
1: I mean, the part that I'm involved in is sound. And George, Lucas, George Lucas used to call that 50% of our experience in the movie theater. And sound is very subjective, and it's also highly emotional. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you don't see it on the screen so we can create moods almost subliminally to the viewer. We're doing things with the sound that you're not seeing on screen, so it's you're focused on the images that are on the screen, and so we can kind of sneak in this back door and kind of you know, manipulate your experience. The things that we will use to do that, we have a gigantic sound effects library here at Skywalker Sound. It's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of sounds over the years that we've created for all kinds of movies that end up on our library, so... Especially a science fiction movie or any of the movies like the Jurassic Park movies, like how we create dinosaur voices and what goes into the components of making those. And the original folks like Ben Burt, who were, and Randy Tom, Gary Rydstrom, who were the, some of the designers of Skywalker Sound. Have all built their libraries on a very organic way of, of working, where they're going out and recording real-world sound effects. It's not nothing is synthesized in a computer. I mean, there are there are ways you can synthesize sound out of a computer, but it's usually for computer-type sounds. But going out and recording real-world objects, bringing them back and layering them together, and pitching them and changing them to make our soundtracks. So it's a lot of just going out and into the real world and acquiring things to, to build these soundtracks. And it's a pretty small crew. I have like, you know, 15 people on my sound crews for the Star Wars films. And we have a unique experience being up here in Northern California. We're a lot of just kind of mellow folks that like the film industry isn't big up here. So it's not like everybody's doing it. So it has a, it has a very special quality to it. We just work together really well as a, as a team and we're, Kind of simple folk and easy folk to work with. I don't know, that that could be kind of surprising that they think it's like some giant corporation with a a million people working on it. But I mean, granted the films are a lot of people working on it, but the sound part of it is a fairly small crew and you get a big bang for your buck for what you're spending on it.
0: I also like that you are gathering sounds from the real world. Like I don't know why, but I would have assumed that more of what we hear is actually manufactured maybe, like created to sound like something, but what I guess why would you do that? You know, like biting a carrot sounds like biting a carrot,
1: yeah, yeah, or biting a carrot can sound like you're you know getting a broken arm or bite you know, like I'm just saying like you can we fruit and vegetables is actually used quite a bit to make all kinds of crazy sounds. I remember is it? there was a movie I worked on it was called Thirteenth Warrior there was all it was like a viking vikings were fighting a lot in it against this like this supernatural creature kind of thing and there was all kinds of arrow impacts and sword impacts and hits and so i, I remember going to the store and just filling up my grocery cart with all kinds of stuff like chicken and and melons and all kinds of like stuff and i brought it out here to the ranch i just started stabbing and cutting and and like because it, it, it has that qual- a fleshy quality to it. And sure. I listen to some of those now. You're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you put your mind to what you think you're listening to. You can get away with so much. I mean, there's this thing called the McGurk effect where you can put a sound. If you put it in synchronization with picture, mm-hmm. you can put almost any sound in synchronization with picture of an action. And someone will believe that that's what made that sound. So we can basically get away with a lot with mm. sound editing.
0: Right, because really we don't know, I mean, do I really know what hitting a Viking in the head sounds like? No. Uh, no.
1: <laughs> I mean, the only thing that we really, I mean, in, in sound, when they're on the set, what they're, what they're trying to record is just the actors' voices. So they have these little shotgun microphones that are literally pointed at the actors' mouths to get the best recordings of their voices. Everything else is done in post-production. Wow. You build the entire environment um, in post-production. They're just—they know that actors are expensive, so they're like, let's make sure we get to, we get the voices recorded right because bringing the actors back into the studio to re-record lines is—it's expensive. It's also hard for the director and the actor to try to recapture what they were doing on the set in a studio sometimes, and to get the synchronization right in the mouth. Even though that's one of my jobs, working on the films is—that's mm-hmm. one of my specialities—is to do that. But everything else you hear is generated from our tracks and design and mix here at Skywalker.
0: Wow. That's very cool. Thank you for explaining all that. I wouldn't. There are more surprises in there than I would have guessed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What do you find the most joy in, either there working or even outside of that?
1: You know, I'm. I've been examining a lot the concepts of joy a lot lately. Just kind of the fact that I've been out here so long, and now I. I, One of my dreams was to work in the film industry and to work on projects, and so I've. There's a lot of things that I've already achieved that were my really early dreams. And so now it's like, well, what do you do next? What brings me joy now is building, crafting something. And I haven't quite figured out what that's going to be after I'm done with the film industry. But like, I love taking something and just building it with a high quality way and maybe not even doing it the way it used to be done, like doing it your own way. And so I'm trying to figure out how to apply that into my life. And part of me is like, maybe I'll be a chocolatier or maybe I'll make have a coffee bar or maybe I'll do something that's like uh, and you know you craft this amazing piece of chocolate and people can eat it and take it into them and then they'll have an instant reaction if they like it or not and that's like sort of like a something nice about that to craft something so crafting is actually something that brings me joy and right now I feel like I'm doing it in the film industry and you know putting a good crew together and all those dynamics of putting a crew together and then making this track for somebody and and seeing how we can do it, and do it in a very sane way, and and yet make it very high quality, and those kind of things bring me joy. But certainly, like nature brings me joy. I love walking around outside. That's why Skywalker Ranch here is such a beautiful place to work, because we can I can just walk mm-hmm. through the door, and it's like the most amazing nature ever. I love travel. I love really good friends. You know, philosophy. I like to know about the human condition. I like to study consciousness. Yeah, those kind of things bring me joy. My family brings me joy. They're all close by still, so that's really nice. That's good. So yeah, those 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 things are those things are great.
0: Yeah, thank you. I love how deep and introspective you are. It's, uh, <laughs> it's lovely. It's very refreshing. If someone listening has a big dream about how they could make a change in the world, what advice would you give them about bringing that dream into action?
1: Hmm. That's a good one. Um, If you have, if you have something you that you really want to bring into the world or manifest or create, if you can, I I have found that it comes to you. You can manifest that by believing in it yourself. And it's like it's a funny thing because I used to think like, well, what does that even mean? Like, (laughs) but what I was talking about the General Grievous story about how I got that that job. Everything kind of fell into place, and it was because of building that, and I, you know all the ways I said that it, it came together. I just feel like if you're check in with yourself, and if it's if and you can find out a lot, like if you really want to do something, and you have your your mindset on it, and then like halfway through the process, are you like, you know what, I actually. I don't want to do this anymore, but I really, I, I tried really hard, but that actually frees you up to find out what you truly do want to believe in. I mean, I, I, I have always found that like, I love mistakes. I love when you do achieve your goals or when you don't achieve your goals. I don't know. It's something those things work hand in hand to each other. So I don't know, believing in yourself and actually it, it will come to fruition. There's one thing that I, I sometimes think that there's a, um, function that we do and this is going to be an audio geek thing but in the the system we use to do a lot of sound editing we're always kind of having to group a lot of things together like you'll have to like let's say there'll be you know like the sound of a car crash and then it'll go into a gun battle and then it'll go into like an explosion and then it'll get really quiet and then it'll go so there's all these different changes between environments and scenes Mm -hmm. there's this thing there's this this tool that we use it's called a crossfade basically it's just basically taking something's ending and something else is beginning or a fade it's got, it's a fade where it's blending the two the change from the from moment A to moment B you're blending those to have a so it's not just such an abrupt change between those two moments i find that like the crossfade or the fade up it's also called so if you're starting something really Um, if you want to creep something in very slowly, you can start fading it into the scene, like almost from an imperceptible sound level up to the, if it's unity, which is called like where you want it to be, that's the level that you want it to be heard at. Mm -hmm. I find that that fade tool, I'm always like, you know, I feel like people are using that. Like if there's something I want to achieve, I'm like, I'm already doing it right now, but I'm just fading into it slowly and I'm going to get there. I'm totally going to get there, but I'm just like, doing it this like long fade up into what I mm. so, I don't know, that's like an audio term, but I always feel like if there's something I have my mind on, I just pretend like it's already happening and I'm just slowly fading into it.
0: I love that. I don't- yes, <laughs> that's great stuff. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so kind of like living in the crossfade yeah. or yeah, having faith. It's already in-
1: happening. It's like it's the, 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 the thing is already happening. I'm just fading up to it. I'm just leading myself there. It's going to happen.
0: I love it. That is so, that's, that is poetic, sir. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that's the big stuff right there. And then my last question is, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives?
1: Jumpstart joy. I think giving to others and giving people other people opportunity is such a joyous thing. Having faith in somebody, listening to them, and giving to somebody is always going to benefit the world in such a great way. I mean, even times when, when like sometimes on, on, I'll work on films and like, there'll be a lot of downward pressure coming from whatever the studio or the people, the executives involved or, you know, that, that they want to do something in a very uh, intense way that has to happen immediately. And it may like rankle the schedules of everybody that's on the show. But if you can mitigate that and like be the person that changes that energy "Quote unquote negative to positive by changing your perspective on it, and you can dissolve all that drama. That that feels great. All those things for me always equal out to joy in the long run because it's it's so fun to be able to give, and it's and it's it's so fun to learn too to learn a new way to do something. Both those things are very joyous to me.
0: Mm Mhm. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I think things would be so. I don't know, so stagnant if <laughs> we didn't just keep growing and, yes. and and learning new things. Well, Matt Wood, thank you so much for the time. And
1: You're absolutely welcome, Paula.
0: And a very deep-seated thank you for all the magic that you bring to so many of us, even though we may not be aware of it. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> you are cherished, for sure.
1: Yeah, well, we wouldn't we wouldn't have these films unless people were coming to see them and enjoying them, so we're very happy to have that, and I wish you great success.
0: Thank you so much for listening today and I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Matthew Wood as much as I did. To get placed on the Jumpstart Your Joy newsletter and be updated each week when a new episode comes out, text the word JUMPY, J-U-M-P-Y, to 33733. That's JUMPY to 33733. I hope you'll come back next week when we have another exciting interview lined up. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.